turn to somebody uh, near you today uh, and say, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Try to be convincing. Try to be convincing. Am I gonna make it? I'm not so sure, dude. Am I gonna make it? Jameson, you gotta make it, buddy. You gotta make it. Uh, we're in this sermon series on finishing well in life. It just, you know, stemmed from a concern I had uh, and a lot of teachings that Jesus gives. It's, it's kind of easy uh, to, to find Jesus in this world. It's more challenging to follow Jesus in this world. And what happens to a lot of people is they get started like gangbusters. And then as Jesus teaches, anxieties and challenges and drift sort of beset us. And not everybody finishes well. So we're doing this sermon series on specifically on what it takes to do this for the long haul. Uh, and uh, we're actually finishing the finishing series uh, this morning. Uh, in the course of this series, we've talked about, well, you know, what's the goal? Well, the goal is to make it to eternity because eternal life is kind of a big deal, kind of a big uh, trump card. If we can make that, it's all good. We want to get there with a little heavenly bank. We want to have some stored rewards in heaven, what Jesus called treasures in heaven. Uh, and so we want to make it. We want to have some treasures in heaven when we get there. And we've talked about what it takes to navigate this life well, which is to say we've talked about what it is, what's required to figure out your purpose, your particular unique purpose, how to navigate your particular life, which is going to be a bit different than other people's. We've talked about uh, the goal of ministering unceasingly, which is really what life in the kingdom of heaven on earth. Life is ministry, right? Uh, we only have so many years uh, to minister to one another before eternity starts. And, and the best advice I have about keeping your ministry life fresh is to always be gathering at least one person with whom you are in personal relationship into the kingdom of heaven. Always be gathering, always be gathering at least one intentionally. Uh, it's called evangelism, or if you want to get... Uh, very nasty about it, proselytizing, which is a word uh, that people use pejoratively, nastily. Um, but it's about gathering, it's about sharing. We talked about um, how the goal in a long life is to grow in competence each year. There should be things that you're better at at age 70 than you were at age 30. Are you growing in skill or are you just cruising? That's a great metric. Uh, we talked about the required skill of not conforming because the world is all about making us conform, and it's just on us endlessly about that, endlessly trying to get us to conform, just give a little here, a little here, a little here, a little here. And particularly, I think the last three or four years, there's been so much pressure to conform, right? And we've even invented new terms for it, you know, uh, virtue signaling and cancel culture and stuff like that, because we've recognized that the pressure has gone up. A lot of that has been social media and stuff, but but we have to be uh, non-conforming, and sometimes that requires a bit of savagery. We've talked about how the kingdom of heaven on earth is a place of force. I mean, truly, it's a place of force. You're gonna have to be a fighter. You're gonna have to be a warrior. You can't merely be nice and expect to make it the whole way. Sometimes you have to be a little pugnacious, uh, and Jesus talked about that a fair bit. Uh, we've talked about the skill of making yourself behave. Some things you can do by self-discipline because you're just really di self-disciplined in some areas. 
but in other ways, you're going to have to create some external disciplines. You're going to have to set up for yourselves external reinforcements, accountability groups. You're going to have to go to a church to freshen yourself every week because uh, maybe you won't make it completely solo doing uh, your own thing. We've talked about enduring relationships, which is a double entendre. Uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth is a very relational place, and you want to create relationships that are enduring, but you also want the ability to endure the relationships you have uh, because relationships can be a challenge. They can break your heart and frustrate you, and that can cause you to drift from the straight and narrow way, as Jesus puts it. We talked about managing expectations because I think that disappointment kills more spirits than anything else in the world. You know, in terms of events, I think disappointing events tend to rock our spirits. So how do we manage those expectations? We talked about the skill of trying in that regard. Uh, we talked about the skill of life change. Uh, if your life is long enough, you will have to change your life a lot. You know, from time to time, you're just going to go through a season where you have to let go of a bunch of stuff and pick up a lot of stuff. And uh, very few people have the skill of life change, as it turns out. Jesus talks about it a fair bit, about new wineskins, about bringing out of the storehouse new treasures as well as old treasures. Um, a lot of people just let change happen to them. But smart people, uh, mature people, engineer uh, the change uh, in their life. Um, and today, we're just going to wrap up everything, and I'm going to talk about a really fun topic. Uh, I'm going to talk about what happens at the finish of your life. I'm going to talk about final judgment. Final judgment. So our warm-up question this morning is, who's up for a sermon on judgment and hell? That's your question. So like, think about it for eight seconds. Then I tell me, who's up for a sermon on judgment and hell? All right, just let you think about it. I'll let you think about it. All right, who's up for a sermon on judgment and hell? Yes, we're up for it. Not so much. Not so much. Afraid to answer because you might get judged. And uh, You like this topic, judgment and hell? I mean, come on, answer me honestly. You like it? Good topic? Good topic? You like going to a church that talks about hell a lot? Yeah? Some? A little bit? You know? Depends, like too much spice in the soup ruins the taste, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I'm going to go way out on a limb, and I'm going to say not the most popular topic in churches today. Um, it probably changes uh, a bit through the centuries, but you don't hear a lot of sermons on judgment and hell, because judgment uh, is, you know, it's associated with judgmentalism, uh, which we don't like at all, we don't like to think about a mean God, and and, you know, and that's been an issue uh, in every evangelistic conversation you've had, probably. Here's the thing. And this really strikes me. Our dear, gentle Jesus spoke about judgment quite a bit in the Gospels. Quite a bit. Quite a number of teachings. Um, why did he do that? He's a pretty nice guy. You know, nobody in the world dislikes Jesus. Nobody. I mean, they might not think he's everything that he said he was, but he's a very popular figure. And then you, then you stop and think, he talked about the final judgment quite a bit. You know, quite a bit. You know, half a dozen times. Uh, what was up with that? So let me ask you a complimentary but opposite question. Uh, would you like complete non-judgment in the universe? No judgment. So... 
Only of yourself. You, you, want, you want the get out of jail free card. We all love that. We all love that. I mean, have you thought about that before? Uh, a universe without any judgment? Do we like that? Do we think that would be a just place or an unjust place? There's no adjustment. Yeah, you like justice? You like injustice? Do you like injustice on earth? Is that cool? It's one of those awkward but necessary topics. I am, uh, I'm currently involved in an international lawsuit. And, you know, I've been, I've been you know, involved. I used to be in business and stuff like that a little bit. And so, you know, I'm, I'm no, you know, com- not a complete stranger to contract disputes and lawsuits and, and stuff like that. Um, but I had this contract, this guy had to do with boat construction and stuff. I've told some of that story. Uh, and uh, and uh, the builder had some difficulties. I had a contract with him. And, and first we sort of uh, addressed the dispute you know, with grace. What can I do to help you fulfill the contract was sort of my attitude. And those conversations were going some well, going well, because he was having some difficulties. And then he had like this one big difficulty. And he decided like, well, I'm just going to walk away from the contract. Uh, and I said, well, no, you can't do that, actually. Uh, we, have, we have a contract, and there's some money involved. Uh, and then he decided, well, I'm going to walk away from the contract, and uh, I'm going to get a lawyer, and I'm going to make a bunch of obviously false charges against, against me. And, and what was really fascinating to me in the course of this, he's a veteran businessman, is that he, he didn't claim that he was correct in this dispute. He claimed that there was nothing I could do about it. Right? So his position is getting justice uh, for you uh, in a court, in an international contract like this, is going to be too difficult. It's going to take too long. It's going to cost you way too much money. So he didn't say, I'm right. He said, Jordan, you're being unreasonable. You're being unreasonable, because justice doesn't work like that. And so I put a lot of effort into it over the past few months, not, not proving that I'm right, but figuring out how to get justice, because it's the justice that's sort of inaccessible. And this, he, this is not a controversy between us. He kind of knows that's true. Yeah, you can't, you can't get justice, so be reasonable, and let's kind of work out some sort of additional uh, settlement thing. And maybe the most fascinating aspect of this to me as sort of a, a guy who thinks about morality and justice a fair bit is, um, is kind of observing my opponent's uh, mindset, which is a mindset that I've come to recognize quite a, a bit in life. Because he doesn't think justice will happen. He doesn't view himself as an unjust person. What happens is he just chooses not to think about justice, right? So there's a difference. There's a difference. He's not going to say, oh, I'm being criminal, right? Instead, he's going to say, oh, you're being unreasonable. It's like, well, why even think about that? So he doesn't get decisive, decisively bad. He just gets lazy in his thinking. Are you following me? Right? Sometimes at Blue Water, we say, uh, that it's not the spirit of evil that kills people, it's the spirit of eh, right? It's the spirit of drift. It's the spirit of muddle-headedness and vagueness that kind of lets people just kind of drift and drift and kind of fall off, off the cliff. 
So his disbelief sort of allows him the luxury of legal laziness, you might say, or we might say as, as Christians, sort of moral uh, laziness. And, and he thinks he's just being uh, reasonable. And indeed, he may be, right? Because justice might be totally inaccessible to me in this case, because I'm here to tell you the justice system, not perfect. I don't know if you've picked up on this. Uh, one of the reasons we do so much as a church in the realm of justice, justice for people in need. Not thinking hard about moral questions is a lot easier than outright lying. Not thinking hard about moral questions is a lot easier than recognizing that you're being immoral in life. Right? And so what makes you think hard about how you're doing? What makes me think hard about how I'm doing? I've had to think very hard about that recently. Uh, what makes you think hard about what you're doing? And, and I think oftentimes it's this specter of final judgment. Right? It's an injection of seriousness that disallows us to be lazy in our thinking, our behavior. Um, I have a theology of final judgment. I'm going to give you a two-minute theology of the final judgment and you know, the eternal life or the eternal destruction uh, that ensues. I don't think uh, judgment, I don't think God judges people uh, because he's mean. I don't think he judges people because uh, we fail at his standards, per se. I don't think that's why he does it. I think he does final judgment in order to make eternity safe. So the analogy that I use is like uh, a rabid dog uh, in, in a kennel or in a sheepfold, if you want to borrow from the biblical uh, analogy. Um, I love dogs, and you know, the only thing that would make me you know, kill one is if that dog was going to kill all the other dogs. Right? The only thing that makes you amputate a limb is if it has cancer in it and you want to save the rest of the body. I think eternity is eternal, right? It's permanent. And God has made this tough choice as well. I'm not going to let destructive people into eternity because they're just going to lead all the other people astray again, right? Um, I'm not going to let sick people come in because I'm trying to make a healthy new earth, a new heaven. So I think there's this protective aspect to it. And there's some scriptures that um, back me up on that thought, but you know, this isn't uh, a sermon about the theology of judgment uh, per se. But I think judgment is done in the spirit of protectiveness and love and, and safety, not in a spirit of anger and retribution. Uh, Jesus says some things uh, accordingly. Uh, we'll get to one of them in a moment. Um, but I also think that didn't have the idea of final judgment out there, we would tend to drift quite a bit. We would tend to get overly lax in our thinking, and that happens faster than we would like to think. Because you're not all that. You're not all that good. Right? We humans have tendencies that are not particularly healthy. And so it's useful to have a little stick along with the big carrots. Uh, that God offers us. Are you following uh, so far? Uh, 
I don't think that judgment means that we should live in fear. We have a saying of blue water, fear is the start of every battle. The opposite of fear is faith, and we want to be people of faith. Perfect love casts out fear, stuff like that. In fact, I say that fear is the most exclusive Christian virtue of all, by which I mean you are allowed to fear God and absolutely nothing else and no one else in the entire universe. That's basically what the Bible teaches. Only fear God. And he really, really loves you. And so it kind of takes the edge off. Be a little sober and fear uh, in order for us uh, to be healthy. Fortunately, we have very clear standards from God. I mean, it's really not hard um, to uh, know what we ought to do, and particularly if we don't, you know, beat ourselves up for being imperfect. Um, but God gives us very clear standards of behavior. And all he says is you have to try to do good things and you have to avoid bad things and you know, give some very uh, basic uh, standards uh, in Scripture. And then he, uh, you know, he preaches grace at us a lot. It's like, look, you're not going to do this perfectly. You know, but hang in there. Be humble. Uh, be repentant when you mess up. I'm super, super generous with you, so don't worry. But have a little soberness uh, in you. Uh, and that, in a nutshell, uh, is how the Lord speaks about judgment. Let's go through a couple sample scriptures. I want to speak from Luke 12, verses 1 through 9, one of the uh, handful of places where Jesus uh, talks pretty blatantly about judgment. Here's the story. From Luke 12, what's happening here is that Jesus and his followers are just getting going. They're just really getting some good momentum in their public ministry. We're about like midway through the gospel arc. And they're starting to get followed by big crowds. Uh, They're getting well-known. They're getting celebrated. They're becoming popular. Um, But they have their detractors. Uh, The Pharisees and Sadducees and the other religious experts are following them around and casting accusations, moral accusations at them all the time. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. That's a happy sight. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, right, to his team, his ministry team, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And he's saying that to his followers, right, to his ministry team. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Uh, In the original Greek, the word isn't hell, it's Gehenna, which was uh, sort of the, uh, it was a combination of city dump and mass graveyard outside Jerusalem. It was a literal place where they burned bodies and animal carcasses and stuff like that. So nasty illustration. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than sparrows. A little whiplash there. Be afraid of one who can kill you eternally. And you're worth more than many sparrows. God really loves you and has numbered your hairs. So that's the juxtaposition. 
I tell you, uh, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. That word acknowledge can be like advocate. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit won't be. So be in right relationship with Jesus. This is kind of how he finishes, and, and it will be okay. The juxtaposition in this, in this passage is always a bit entertaining. He starts out very sobering. Look, uh, these religious people that are dogging you and upsetting you and kind of uh, accusing you of all manner of things, uh, they're coming from a place of hypocrisy. Nobody is all that. Nobody is super righteous uh, like they claim you have to be, dot, dot, dot. On the same token, don't let all your popularity go to your heads, right? The crowd is unruly. They're trampling each other, right? Uh, and they're clamoring for your attention. Uh, there's some uh, chaos afoot, so be sober, you know? Don't be hypocrites uh, this way and don't be hypocrites this way, right? Don't uh, believe that they're more righteous than you, but don't believe that you're more righteous than them. It's kind of, it's kind of the teaching, generally, right? And the tip that Jesus gives them to find their proper center is judgment is coming. And don't fear your accusers. Don't overly respect your supporters. It's just judgment comes. And there's only one judge that counts. And that's what I want you to think of. So essentially, this is him saying, you're only allowed to fear one thing in the universe. God. And then he quickly adds, and he loves you. So it takes the edge off. He says, you know, he tracks the sparrows and you're more important than the sparrows. He has the hairs on your head numbered. Uh, so that's how much uh, he, he cherishes you. It's almost as if Jesus is saying that judgment is a product of affection. Right? He loves you so much be mindful of judgment. He loves you so much that there is a judgment, right? And I think this goes to what I said earlier, that God judges because he loves, right? Because he's so concerned with how people are eternally that some of us he's going to have to shut out. Some of us he's going to have to put down as if we were rabid. I know that's a harsh way of saying it, but I think that's that's the Jesus teaching, and, and I think we need it. Another passage uh, that I've, I've learned to like comes from Mark chapter 9, and we'll just end on this one this morning. Um, Mark 9 is a great chapter. It's just filled with so many great stories. You get the Mount of Transfiguration. You get the healing of the boy with uh, serious neurological problems. Um, and then you get this crazy debate about the disciples arguing about who's, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're getting a little prideful, a little off-center again. Uh, and uh, eventually, uh, uh, Jesus gives uh, this teaching, uh, picking it up in verse uh, 47, right at the end uh, of Mark chapter 9. You can follow along. It'll be on the big board behind me. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Again, it's not the word hell that came from later translators, but it's a nasty place. 
Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, which is a quote from an Old Testament prophet. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. That's the teaching. Uh, Be salted with fire. What do you think that means? What does it mean to be salted with fire? He's just said, hey, be serious about sin because you don't want to end up in the place where the fire doesn't go out. Salt yourself with fire. What do you think that means? I love that line. I love it. Uh, It means, you know, just a little salt in something, right, is all you need. And I think it's a very practical tip from Jesus to his followers. Like, hey, be serious about final judgment. Just a jab, just a, just, a, just a tad, just a dash will do you fine, right? You don't need to obsess about it, right, because that's not really the heart of God. But you need a little salt uh, to make the dish work. So salt yourself with fire. As we go through the day, you know, we shouldn't be all hellfire and brimstone, but if we don't have a little bit of it in us, then we tend to go wrong. We tend to get lazy. Like, we, we get unhealthy, right, is what happens. And I think that's what it means. And I just love that phrase. Everyone will be salted uh, with fire. Um, salt is good, right? But don't let it lose its saltiness. It's like... You don't, you don't want the threat of final judgment to have no flavor in your life, to have no effect in your life. That won't go so well for you. Have salt in yourselves. And then he says a really weird thing. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Um, this is an interesting practical tip. We can't talk about it too much, but Jesus says that if everybody remembers that they're subject to final judgment, they'll probably get along better. Right? Because, you know, they won't be too arrogant. They won't be too lazy in in their moral thinking or the way they break relationships or contracts, so to speak, that sort of thing. Uh, And an awareness of God's judgment should create peace in a community. You know what doesn't create peace in a community? Judging others. And so this is uh, a way to summarize uh, the Jesus teaching. He has many teachings about non-judgmentalism. You know, judge not lest ye be judged. You know, you're calling out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your eye. Do you know how bad that's going to go for you? And these are sort of my paraphrase of very famous Jesus teachings. You're not allowed to judge anyone but neither are you allowed to pretend God is not going to judge you, right? There's only one judge. You're not it. You're not, you're not, you're not the guy. Uh, and, and so, you know, we are required to preach judgment while being non-judgmental. That's the trick. That's the trick in the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's the trick. We are the most non-judgmental people on earth. Never wag the finger in somebody's faith. But never do we forget that in the end, everybody will be judged. 
out of love and protectiveness in the heart of God. You following? Theology on judgment. If we forget one, we're not going to finish well. What I mean is if you forget to be non-judgmental, you're not going to finish well. You're going to create a lot of strife in the community. Um, you're going to be pharisaical. You're going to have to become a hypocrite. That was the Pharisees, the critics. But if you forget that judgment cometh uh, from heaven, then you're very likely to be overly convenient in your thinking, to be a little lazy in the way that you go through the day. Right? You're not going not gonna, to uh, finish well. So here's my last tip in the sermon series on what it takes to finish well. Be mindful that judgment comes, please. Let's not forget that because it would be kind of convenient to forget it. You know, people, I mean, judgment is not a pleasant thing to think about, but people don't just die because there is a judgment, right? They don't get judged and then snuffed out because God, you know, is angry at them. People die People don't finish well because they forget judgment comes. When you forget that judgment comes, you're not going to finish well. You need a little stick in your life. Let's be humble and real about it. Everybody does. Everybody does. Because you're just not quite that good. You know? And Jesus knew that. So even Jesus, you know, the guy who said, I didn't come to judge, I came to bring you life, right? That Jesus quote. Even he talked about judgment a lot because he knew this about humans. He knew that we needed a little bit of threat in order to live properly. And we can't stop preaching that, right? To not preach it with some regularity, is to betray the gospel message. Seriously. Let's be real. Let's be real uh, about ourselves. And this pending judgment that, you know, we should all think about a little bit. You know, we should all have a little, a little salt, a little spice of judgment in our lives. A little, a little dash of judgment in the course of your day. Not judgmentalism, but judgment. Um, it will help you navigate appropriately. It will help you minister seriously and effectively. Right? Um, from time to time, it will scare you straight. And when it does, God be praised. What a mercy it is to your wayward soul, to your lazy flesh. Um, it will help you resist pressures Right? Because it's actually not what the people on social media think. It's what God thinks. You know? He's, he's the one. Someday Facebook will go bankrupt. It will no longer be relevant. Is Facebook relevant anymore? No? Uh, what, Instagram, whatever. See? But God will always be relevant. And his opinion will always be relevant. Uh, his morality will always be relevant. Right? And you'll need to answer. You'll need to answer for it. Um, having a little salt of judgment in your life will help you endure sacrifice 
and endure travail. Because sometimes if you don't believe in the good stuff enough to sacrifice, you'll still be afraid of the bad stuff enough to sacrifice. That's just kind of how people work, you know. Um, and, and the alternative to being judged well at the end of days is very unpleasant. You know, you get snuffed out, you get ended, you get removed uh, from, from the pack. I don't think judgment is mean. And I don't think, I, I don't want to rob people of the blessing of knowledge of coming judgment. You know what I mean? I just think we need it. Now, the specter of God's judgment is never meant to inspire hopelessness in anyone. Right? And there are some of us who struggle with guilt and shame so much that when I say, hey, final judgment is coming, you're like, ah, that's not going to go well. Why do I even try? Everything sucks. Um, and the antidote to that, of course, is Jesus. Right? Who no sooner spoke of him who can cast your soul into Gehenna then he also said, and God loves you more than the birds of the air and has the hairs on your head numbered, right? Like, remember, the person doing the judging is, is, is your father, and there's this whole forgiveness thing in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you're aware of this. Forgiveness, kind of a big deal. Jesus died on the cross, stripped naked, bloodied, and humiliated. Jesus, the Son of God, as if God were saying to us, God would rather die then let your sin be a big issue between you. You know, he would rather die and be humiliated than let you think that you're unforgiven and shameful. You know, there's a way out. So extreme generosity. You know, we serve an extremely generous God uh, and we want to live a grace-based life. Forgiveness, getting forgiven in the kingdom of heaven on earth is pathetically easy, pathetically easy. Um, my favorite repentance story is Jesus hanging on that cross, naked, humiliated. A criminal next to him says, hey, save yourself, you loser. And the criminal on the other side said, don't bother him, he's a good guy. And Jesus says to that criminal, today you're with me in paradise. I'm pretty sure he didn't have the right theology. But he was, you know, at least making friends with Jesus there at the end. And Jesus is like, I'll take it. I'll take it. You're in. Incredibly easy to be forgiven in the kingdom of God. The only question is, do you forgive it? Do, excuse me, do you receive it? The forgiveness that he so freely offers. Like, it's there. Do you receive it or not? He's totally willing to forgive. His forgiveness is standard. <laughs> it's the rule, whether you accept it or not. That's up to you. And that's really what Jesus is talking about there uh, in, in Luke. When he says, all you have to do is acknowledge me. Hey, I don't think you're a loser. Uh, I think I deserve to die. Uh, but yeah, I don't think you do. Um, could you help a brother out? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that'll do. That'll do. Pretty easy, right? You'd, you'd be a fool not to accept that. I'd be a fool to forget it. And I'd be a fool to forget what the alternative is. Yeah. So who's up for a sermon on judgment and hell? 
I know, guys. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all made it, though? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all made it? And I'm just so passionate and concerned about it. You know, I've just watched so many people over the last few years get taken out. Smart, wise, well-intentioned people just get taken out by stratagems that I didn't think were all that clever. <laughs> but the world is a treacherous place, a treacherous place. So we've studied some tips that I think will help keep us on the safe path and the fruitful path to be a blessing to the world. And, and one of those tips is, you know, remember that there's only one path that leads to life, you know, and the others lead to death, death. And wouldn't it be great if none of us died in the, in the end? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, so Father God, I pray um, that uh, you salt us with a little bit of fire and that when necessary, you remind us uh, of the serious consequences of being a destructive person on the earth. You get to decide what's destructive and not destructive, not us. You're smarter than we are. You're smarter than we are. Uh, we acknowledge that in you, uh, and we acknowledge that before men, that maybe we're not the, the smartest moral agents on the planet. Uh, we choose you, Jesus, as Lord. We will do our best to follow you. Uh, forgive us our shortcomings. Make us be agents of grace, also agents of truth. In Jesus' name, everybody says...